This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Thank you for joining me on the Football CFB podcast, Joe. A pleasure, Calm. I'd like to Thanks start. Been you w- you've been doing some good work. Thank you very much. That, I really appreciate that. Um, you were born in the 1940s in Greenock. What was your upbringing like? Uh, just uh, a normal upbringing, really. A working class family. Um... Went to Belleville School, primary school, went from there to the Mount School. Um, started my foot, football career at, at the Belleville School at uh, mornings and breaks and lunch times and tea times, running up home to, to set the fires for my mum and dad coming in from work at five o'clock every, every night. Trying to put a newspaper across the fire to get it going quicker. They <laughs> don't think football too much. <laughs> But uh, no, it's just a, a normal upbringing. Uh, as I say, my mum and dad were both workers. My dad worked in Scott's shipyard and my mum worked in the bag store making uh, bags. So it was, uh, it was a great, great life. Stayed in Vincent uh, Street and uh, used to play football every night until about 8 o'clock. And then into, even in the winter time, we'd be playing football till 8 o'clock with my, uh, my pals. And then in for bed. What are your first memories of watching football or going to a football game? And who were your football heroes growing up? Well, the first the first ever game of football I, I saw come was the uh, 1958 World Cup. I was 10 years of age at the time. And uh, there's a young guy called Perry <laughs> for Brazil against Sweden. What a player. Uh, and now, I, I actually wanted Sweden to win that day because I didn't know that much about football in general, you know, about who were the great teams. And I, I, I fancied that Sweden would beat them. But I saw this young 17-year-old uh, black guy um, playing great and scoring some terrific goals. And I, I then became a very, very much a Pele fan. And even at that time, uh, in those days, my, my, you know, my ambition was to play football. But I wanted to play in a World Cup. So um, when we went out to play football at night in the streets, um, everybody wanted to be somebody, you know, some player. Maybe somebody would be Jim Bice or Jimmy Johnson or Wally Henson or stuff like that, or Alan McGraw, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, I wanted to be a uh, To the extent that one of the times I went out, I actually got boot polish. I thought it was a great idea at the time. I got boot polish and put it all over my face. Uh, needless to say, my mother and father weren't too, too pleased but I got cut across the lug for it. Uh, but at least everybody knew who I was because I was the only one wanting a, a black face full of boot polish. <laughs> In terms of playing the game, obviously you were you were signed by Morton. And how did that come about, having played football as a youth um, in your teenage years to then, as I say, get into Morton? <clears throat> well, what actually happened was I was playing for Larkfield Boys Club 
And uh, the the guy who ran it was our chief inspector, the police retired, the fact retired, I think he was. I can't remember his name, to be honest with you. And he had said to me that uh, there'd been a game arranged between Irvine Meadow and Irvine Victoria, a friendly match, and they... Uh, Somebody wanted me to play in that. They didn't say who it was. So I said, yeah, no problem. A game's a game. I went down there. We beat them 4 now. I think it was, and I scored three goals. And uh, the funny thing was, it was the first time I'd been paid money because when I came in after the game, I was only 15 years ago. I was playing with a lot of men, so I didn't even go for a shower. I just put my, my clothes on and leave, and I put my foot in my shoe, and I felt this uh, thing. That, what's that? And I put it was a £10 note. And I just, I held on to, has anybody dropped £10? It's in my shoe. And the guy, the SV guy who had been organising this stuff is sort of waving at me. He says, don't say anything, don't say anything. But that was the first time I'd pay for something and get my football. That was on Saturday. That that Saturday night, I got uh, a phone call from a Rangers scout. And again, it was that long ago. Carl McCann, I don't remember his name. But he's quite a famous Rangers scout at that time saying that Rangers were interested in me and wanted to watch me a couple more times. He said, we think you're just a wee bit too wee yet to be, you know, become to Ibrox. So that was fine. Uh, Sunday night, we got a phone call from Celtic, from their scout. And it seems that I think this boy says, oh, we want you to come up to Parkhead for a trial. He says, and, uh, you know, we're, we're quite keen to sign you. And I said, right, okay. Both times my father and my grandfather was in the house as well. Both times they said, my, my dad said, listen, tell my phone on bank Wednesday and give him a decision. So I told him that. So on a Monday night, lo and behold, there's a knock at the door. I went to the door and opened it. And uh, there's Hal Stewart. Now, obviously, I knew, I'd known Hal because I didn't know him personally. I just said, oh, hello, Mr. Stewart. But I knew him because he was a mock support and I used to go to the games. So I knew who Hal was. I said, can I help you? He said, I'd like to speak to your mum and dad. So he did. He came in, gave my dad a bottle of whiskey, gave my mum a box of chocolates. And uh, my dad said the same thing. He said, we'll give you, we'll give you your answer on Wednesday, uh, Mr. Stewart. So that was it. So as soon as he came away, I said, well, you know, what am I going to do then? What, what are we doing? And then my, my dad and my granddad both at the same time said, you're fine for Morton. And the reason they said was that you better be in a big fish in a small pool than a small fish in a big pool. I didn't know what he's talking about, but he's <laughs> fish, you know, fishing. Uh, but I got the gist of it later on. He says, listen, you go to Capo, he says, you've got a better chance of making it. If you do make it, you've got to bigger clubs like Rangers, Celtic, or whatever. He says, but you go to go to Morton and learn your apprenticeship. And that's exactly what I did. I think for Morton uh, that following week at 15 years of age, just turned 16, to be honest with you. And... Uh, the rest is history for, as far as that's concerned. You know, uh, the greatest pr- apprenticeship any footballer could have but because all the Danish players were over. Yeah. Uh, Harvard signed on Eric Sorensen, Kaya Hansen, Fleming Nielsen. And it was just a, a magic time for me. You know, absolutely brilliant. Uh, scored my first senior goal for Morton as a 16-year-old against Patrick Thistle in the Summer Cup. And it was the only goal of the game. So all of a sudden I became a bit of a hero. Uh, with people and uh, just fantastic, really enjoyable. In terms of the time at Morton when you, you signed there, you mentioned the apprenticeship and the Danish invasion. Eric Sorensen was a goalkeeper who absolutely hated being scored against. 
what was that like for you in training, being a, being a very good striker? Was that a challenge you just absolutely loved to try and score as many as you could past yeah. them? Yeah, we both loved it. you got to appreciate I was just 15, 16 years of age when I entered. So I had to do the work. I had to go and do my, you know, cleaning the terracing and stuff like that. John Ellis, who was in charge of us, all used to tell us about how much money he'd found after a game when he was cleaning, when he was brushing the terraces. Stuart, obviously he's a name who Morton fans absolutely love and what was he like as a person with you and also what was he like as a manager during that first spell at Morton? How, how was he a manager? How, how owned the club? He was, he was the owner of the club. He wasn't a, a tracksuit manager. He never ever came out on and watched his training. He left that up to the likes of Eric Smith or uh, Bobby Howard, you know, those days. Um, and he was very good at it. You know, he he, he got the right men in and he let them go on with it. But Hal wasn't a manager, but he was a character, a wonderful, wonderful character. I remember him saying to me, um, he called me on the Friday and he said to me, listen, we're playing Stranana Scottish Cup tomorrow. He says, and you're playing. You know, they didn't have any substitutes in those days, remember. He says, you're playing. I went, oh, right. He says, so get yourself suited up and booted up tomorrow morning. Come down, we'll get the bus down to Stranana. So I did that. Now, I was a Beatles fan at those times. Beatles were a big thing, you know, and I was a Beatles fan. So my, my suit for going out with is a Beatles suit, you know, <laughs> the, with a shirt with a pin through the, the top of it. Uh, and how was sort of flabbergasted. He saw, saw me, he says, oh, he says, what? He says, if you score today, he says, I'll get you a suit. He says, if we win, he says, I'll buy you shirts to go, a shirt to go with it. So I went down, scored a hat trick. So I got my suit, pinstripe suit for a 60-year-old Beatles fan. Just was the on, was it? <laughs> and he gave me these three shirts. He gave me three shirts because I scored through three goals. So I didn't get that until the following uh, the Wednesday. I got that stuff. Took up to my mum. My mum said, oh, what a nice man that man is. And my wages at the time were £10 a week. And if you get a win... You get an extra ten pounds a week. So actually, I get twenty pounds of my wages. So I went in the Friday to pick my wages up. And came in. I think I, it's something like twelve pounds I got. 
Uh, I didn't. I never ever opened the package until I took it off to my mum and gave it to them. And they opened up and said, "Oh, you get twelve pounds." I said, "Oh, you should be more than that, mum." I said, "I got a bonus, a, a ten pound bonus." So I went back down the next day, <laughs> knocked on Al's door, and said, "Mister Stewart, I said I only get twelve pounds my wages. I thought it was a ten pound bonus." He said, "Oh, I bet. By the time we took your suit off, son, and the t-shirt, you know, it's twelve pounds." So I'd actually paid for one shirt that he promised he was going to give me. <laughs> uh, so that's the sort of guy he was. But yeah, it didn't matter, you know. I would say what was the main thing. You were playing in the first division um, when you just came, came, came in at Morton and the club obviously during your time there in the first spell won promotion to the top flight. What was that whole time like for you as a player? Oh, it was fantastic. Uh, I mean, the whole thing, uh, I actually didn't play in the, the, the team that won the league. Uh, but just to be in that, that group of players, you know, I remember going to the cup final with them. Uh, I was the, unfortunately, I was the 12th man, uh, 13th man or something like that. Uh, uh, watching him play, playing against Rangers and the Alec Willoughby and Jim Forrest scored the goals for Rangers and I think Jimmy Marlin scored for us and we won uh, we could beat four one but what a, what and you know the excitement of going to a cup final with a lot, maybe fifty thousand people at Hamden and watching the guys playing and really we should we should have been one nothing up in about the first two minutes I think Jimmy Marlin missed one for about four yards. Uh, it may have made a difference I don't know but Rangers were a good team in those days uh, but then because we got there Rangers won the league so we got into the Cup Winners Cup and that was my first uh, one of my first games against an English team it was Chelsea we got drawn again in the first round uh, we went down to Chelsea and I think they beat us 4-1 4-0 or something like that and then they came up here and we were 3-0 up at half time uh, and eventually got beat 4-3 but what, what, you know, what a buzz that was. Uh, seeing Capo pull to the, the brim and uh, it was a night game which was great under the floodlights. The uh, place was absolutely buzzing. Uh, so, uh, you know, just uh, another great memory uh, of, of going somewhere with Morton and, and winning things. In terms of Capo, you mentioned the European game there. What was Capo like in the... In the 1960s, because obviously I'm I'm younger generation, I'm only 24, so I I can't even imagine what it must have been like. How special was it back in the 60s with bigger crowds coming to the games? Oh, fantastic. I mean, you know, the the park was was probably full nearly every time. I mean, we played Celtic and beat them at Capo. We played Rangers at Capo, beat them. I mean, we we beat all the teams that we, we needed to beat, or I needed to beat as a young boy. Uh, to take me on to my, the rest of my career. Um, I mean, just before I signed for Aberdeen, we played Aberdeen a fortnight before that, and I scored in a 2-2 draw, and it was after that that they signed me. So the, the, the fact that you're playing, Capo was like a fortress to us. We, I felt real. I mean, I, I felt as if I knew every bit of Capo. Um, scored the hat against Patrick Tissel, scored goals against Hibs. Scored for a, a, a direct corner against Hibs in the top corner in net, believe it or not. You know, so, I mean, all these things, all these memories come back. But I think the greatest thing about it was, was as I say, I, I counted it as an apprenticeship for me. And it wasn't just the Danish boys. You know, you had the, people like Jimmy Marlin and Jim Cairn and uh, Hugh Strachan, the two Campbell uh, boys, uh, not brothers, Red Campbell and Black Campbell, Bobby Adamson, Joe Caven. They were magnificent, and they were great people. They were lovely people, you know, they'd do anything to help you. Um, I mean, I went to Patrick Thistle in the Summer Cup, as I said, 
scored the only goal of the game that day. Was, uh, you know, and then I ended up I wasn't in the team the following week because I think it was Joe Joe Mason who was, uh, had appendicitis and couldn't play, but the, 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 they had to play them again in the next round. And Joe played, and I didn't play that. So we beat them one 0 at party, and I played. We went to Carpo and they could beat two 0 and I didn't play. So serves them right, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> What, somebody else I'm interested to ask about You mentioned there The, the Danish players You mentioned Strachan and, 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 and plenty of others there I'm interested to ask you about one man in particular now And that man is another Morton legend Like yourself, Alan McGraw he, he's, someone who, Alan. he's someone who People obviously know as being The manager of Morton But what was he like as a player? Oh, fantastic player Fantastic player Very, very good near he, he was a wiry type of guy, you know. He didn't have a lot of meat on him at all, so every time he bumped into him, it was a bone that was hitting you. <laughs> uh, but by goodness, could he score goals? And I used to, I mean, I used to watch him and, and you know, sort of look at myself scoring and seeing him scoring goals. And yeah, you know, it, it was a joy to watch and uh, a massive, a massive asset for for Morton at the time. And he's Morton through and through. You know, you cut his veins, and his blood would be blue. Uh, he just loved Morton and. It was very unfortunate that the way things do it, in those days we didn't know what cortisone to do to you. You know, you're only supposed to take cortisone injections about maybe three times a year, and I think Alan took about 28 cortisone injections. That's how he ended up with his bad legs, um, which is a shame. But, I mean, his career was finished by then, but, uh, you know, just it was the way it happened. Um, no, I mean, he's such a lovely, lovely person now, and, you know, I mean, there's not many, uh, there's maybe a handful of guys in football that have met a true gentleman, and Alan McGraw was one of them. You mentioned, obviously, Alan there as a player and, and as a gentleman, and in terms of that spell at Morton, obviously, your first spell before you came down south, as a young player coming through, what were the senior pros like with you? You mentioned how good the Danish players were with you. What were the, the rest of the team like with you as you were, just as you say, starting an apprenticeship in the game? Well, we, we didn't have any bad apples in the club. You know, everybody was great. They're all nice guys. You'd be amazed, you know, for, for professional people. We think professional people are, are hard and they're, they're always hard and they're always moaning and always shouting and stuff like that. No, they were great. They, they did nothing but encourage me uh, because as a young boy. He used to play pranks on me. He used to throw me in a big cold bath, my gear on and stuff like that. <laughs> but that was all, the, that was all part of the game. You know, that's what... I mean, I was like that when I grew up to be a professional. I was the same with my, my apprentices, the, the boys that used to hang my, my jerseys. I always used to throw all the jerseys about so they'd get into trouble. And then I'd end up with my shoes getting nailed to the floor by, by somebody and they'd never tell me who it was. But, you know, it was, that was the fun part of it. That was the, the, the enjoyment. Of, I mean, it's great to be able to go every day in life, come around on those days and train. You know, you're out in the fresh air. You're playing with a footballer, and you want to be a footballer. That's what you're, all your all your interest in is being a footballer. So to be able to do that every day, uh, it was, you could have a smile on your face. It was absolutely magnificent. Uh, running against, even racing against each other was a was a chore. It wasn't. It, it, wasn't a, it was a thing that we all wanted to do. We all wanted to beat each other at things. Uh, you know, and if you and, and that brought the, the sort of real pro out. I mean, I used to sit on. I even cheated at Monopoly when I was playing with my kids because I'd make myself the banker so I could take my money. <laughs> a, you know, and, you know that, that's just the way we are. That's the way you are. Um, and it was, it, it, it was, I mean, 
uh, Aberdeen, I've won all, all the cups that I wanted to win, the medals I wanted to win. But Morton, I've always been a Morton man. The, the Aberdeen fans know I love Aberdeen a bit. I support Aberdeen a bit. But first and foremost, I'm a Morton man. I was born in Greenock. I played with Morton. It was my home team. I used to watch them before I went there. And uh, it was, you know, it's just a, a massive, massive part of my life. You moved from Morton down south for the first time, and this that move was to Huddersfield. How did that move come about? Yeah. And did you want to go? Um, I wasn't. I wasn't sure about Huddersfield. I had no clue where Huddersfield was. I think, to be honest with you. Um, but the you know the tennis offer was quite a big offer for a young boy, and how being a gentleman, being a gentleman was, and being the manager was. He was only thinking about his club. He wasn't thinking about the Joe Harper. You know, he knew I would do well enough out the, the actual deal. But what Hal was uh, more interested in was the club. You know, £40,000 to go down for a young boy like me was a lot of money to Morton Football Club. And we keep them going for, for a few years, you know. Uh, so basically, that's how it came. When I got there, it was a nightmare. I didn't like it. I think I'd been there about a month. And I thought, this is horrible. I hate this. They stuck me into digs uh, in a place called Fartown. And trust me, it was well named. Because <laughs> um, I was in digs. As a, I was in a room with five beds in the room. And I was the only footballer. The rest of my rod, Irish Navy, working in Huddersfield. So, I mean, in those days, they didn't take you away the night before a game. Uh, you know, you got in the mall and you got a bus and you travelled four or five hours if that's what it took to get to the game and then you played the game and then you came back again. So I'd be in my bed, eleven o'clock, and they're coming in and drunk, burping, you know, being sick. You know, everything is just a nightmare for you if you try to get a good night's sleep. And that went on for at least uh, I think it was a a year. And I hated it. I hated it. And then eventually I, I get a chance and I, and I actually phoned Mr. Stewart, Al Stewart. I said, listen, boss, I said, I hate it down here. And I said, it's really... And I told him the circumstances. I didn't say... I, I, was still, I was still a top goal scorer. I was still scoring goals. I was still playing the football team. But I didn't want to be there. And he said, oh, he said, well, leave it with me. Leave it with me. And he said, oh, I'll see what I can do. See if we can get something organised. And within a month, I was back at Carpool. And, you know, Hal had a reduce, paid a reduced price. I think he paid about 20000 or something like that and got me back again. So they still made, made money out of it. And then, of course, when I came back, I was so happy. I was scoring goals for fun. And uh, and then Aberdeen came in and, and that's fine for Aberdeen. You mentioned the return to Capelo there in 1968, again under Hal. This time in the, the Premier League in Scotland, you scored 25 top-flight goals. You mentioned that you were flying that season. How confident were you getting into yeah. every single game? Oh, every game. I, I, I was a confident lot lad. I, I thought I could score in any game. Uh, you know, so you got to remember those 25 goals you're talking about, Carl, came to the right wing. I was saying right wing at that time. Yeah. It was only when I went to, it's only when I actually went to Aberdeen that Eddie Turnbull put me, made me centre forward. But I was playing in the right wing in those days. That's so, tremendous. You know, for a young boy to scored 25 goals in a season for the right wing. It was a big thing. Uh, and then, as I say, Eddie Turnbull made me into centre-forward. In terms of your time coming back to Morton and playing in the top flight, you played, obviously, against some incredible teams in the 60s. What was it like playing against the Lisbon Lions in particular? 
Well, they were a great team. They were a fantastic team. Uh, I mean, I, one of the biggest, well, probably the biggest moment in my life was when I won my first cup medal. And that was in 1970 against Celtic. And that was virtually the Lisbon line. In fact, they were going away after we beat them the, uh, uh, in the 1970 final. They were, a fortnight later, they were going away to play Feyenoord uh, in the European final again. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always, I've always maintained that yeah, if you're going to win cups and leagues and stuff like that, you want to beat the best teams as well as you know the not so good teams. That makes it that much more pleasurable. So to play against the Lisbon Lions, I mean, I remember the Lisbon Lions coming to Capo. Um, that's where that team came to Capo uh, with John Hughes and me, Jimmy Johnson, all these guys, you know, and they were magnificent. Yeah, they were a pleasure to watch. Uh, but in saying that, you know, we still beat, we beat, we beat them. We didn't beat them that day. We beat 4-3, 4-3, I think it was that day. But we played them at the Parkhead after they'd won the Glasgow Cup, the Scottish Cup, the League Cup, the League and the European Cup. And Morton played them in the last game of the season at Parkhead. And Big Bartram, Per Bartram was with us, I think. So it was me and Per, Per up front. And we're going out onto the park, and Hal Stewart says, hey, what you got to do is, I want you to line up each side. They want you to line up each side. The tunnels are going out, and Clark Celtic going to the park. Well, you know, I was there. I had that idea. So I, oh, I want to beat them. I don't want to carve them and play. Just do it. Just do it. So we did. They brought a big table onto the middle of the park. They had all the trophies on it. And they spent 10 minutes, you know, waving to the fans and stuff like We went out and beat them 4 <laughs> 1. Me, me and Per, ba- per Basham got a hat-trick and I scored one. And we beat them 4-1. And that was one of the most enjoyable victories in my life. Just because it was the Lisbon line. All these cups were there. There was 60,000 Celtic supporters in the, in the ground. And we, we knocked them a day up. And I'm sure they weren't bothered. It was a big thing for us. It was a big thing for me. You know, to go and do that. You mentioned there that season at Morton. An incredible season. It was, as we mentioned, the 25 goals from right wing, absolutely flying. And interest is in. It comes in for you from Aberdeen. When did you find out about that interest? And was there anyone else interested? I was. I was actually sitting in the house, and the house, the house, your former. He says, "Hi, George. How are you?" It was the night before a game. I think it was. He says, uh, "He says I need to speak to you." He says, "I might have to speak to your dad if you want." I said, "No, what's that about?" Mr. Stewart, he says, well, he says, there's a, there's a move on you, Eddie Turnbull, or uh, Aberdeen won you. That's what he said, Aberdeen. I went, okay then. Uh, again, stupidly enough, you know, as, as a 15-year-old, yeah, he did, I didn't even know where Aberdeen was. I knew he was, uh, you know, in Scotland, and he was up in the Highlands somewhere, but I didn't know where it was. And I said, well, wait a minute. I said, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let my dad know, and uh, I'll give you a phone back. So, again... My granddad was in the house, my dad was sitting talking away, and I said, Oh, listen, dad, I said, How's your for me today? He said, I wish you one. He said, He's one. He said, he, he would speak to me, but he said that he might have to speak to you. He said, Because there's somebody else wanting to buy me. I went, Who is that? And I said, It's uh, uh, Aberdeen. I mean, Aberdeen. He said, That's Eddie Turnbull. I said, I asked that's the manager's name, Eddie Turnbull. He says, Good signing, man. He says, You sign for him, son. He says, He's a good man. My dad had obviously watched him and my granddad watched them when they played the famous five we had. Yeah. And knew what sort of people they were. 
And he knew that Eddie was a hard man. You know, he was just a working class guy, the way my father was. He treated people, he treated people properly and, fair, and fairly. He would never take money off you and fine you because that would affect your family. He would never give you a crack across the back and not. <laughs> I think he's going to do now, obviously. But, you know, he appreciated it more than I'm taking money off you. And uh, he said to me, he says, you go for it. He says, go and meet him, go and meet him and, and see what you think. So I went to Queen Street Station, uh, drove up and met, met him in the Queen Street Station, uh, Eddie Turnbull, the chairman, Tom, uh, not Tom Hart, the chairman, uh, Dick Donald, and Bobby Calder, the scout. And uh, and I think for him, I just I think for him, I, I, I was so impressed with him. I didn't even ask him about money, how much it was. I didn't know how much the fee was. Uh, you know, everything about it was just done and assigned. And I was, I was, I was never, funny enough, I was never ever a man of money. You know, I didn't uh, uh, argue when people say, any time we used to and say, right, we're going to get a raise next year, it'll be 10 pounds a week raise. I'd say, aye, okay. And walk out. You wouldn't say, no, 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 I want 20 or whatever, you know. It was just, you know, part of your, part of the way I was. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I mean, so glad that I decided. My dad decided. My, my granddad decided that. Yeah, you know, you're in Aberdeen. They're a good team. Uh, the only thing that worried me about it was that I had to play against Morton, and I didn't know how I'd feel when it came to that. You know, uh, but I soon found out. <laughs> in terms of Aberdeen, there, Joe, you go there. Are you welcomed straight away by your teammates? And what was the standard like in training coming from Morton to Aberdeen? Um, well, I mean, I, I love the training with Morton, but Aberdeen is a, a class of love. You know, uh, they had their own training grounds, although they weren't the professional grounds you have these days. We had a car park, which was Red red Blaze, so we could train in that any day of the week. We trained in the park, as the own part, an awful lot. Eddie Turnbull was a manager. Eddie Turnbull wasn't a house steward. Eddie Turnbull didn't want to know anything about, you know, selling players or buying players. If Eddie Turnbull got rid of a player, he just said, right, son, you've had some time here. Sorry, but you're gone. When I went up there, Eddie Turnbull had already got rid of 18 players when he took over as manager from Queen, uh, Queen's Park. He got rid of 18 players and, may, and had, was going to have a, a whole... Uh, get everybody out and I'll get people in. And that was, that was the first one that he'd signed. And then he'd taken it, he took in young Arthur Graham and Dan Mackay. Bobby Carr was already there. Bobby had, had signed from Queen's Park because Bobby had played under him. So, you know, the, the whole thing, there's a, where, where there was a buzz at Capo, this was a different kind of buzz for me. You know, it was a, it was a step up into a professional outfit. You know, Morton were a lovely, lovely family football team. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't have changed it for anything in the world. It was great being there. But this is a more professional attitude towards football and a professional outlook. And fortunately, I got off to a great start because uh, my first game was away at Air United. Uh, I had to travel back down the road. I was saying for, for the Air United game, we won 2 0. I didn't score. I was still playing the right wing. And then on the, the following Saturday, we played Party Sisters at the home. And I scored the only goal of the game, and so I instantly became a, a, a you know, I was a, all the fans' heroes for scoring a goal, and it just from there it took off, you know, it took off. I think I scored about 15 goals that season to the end of the season, and then uh, 
to the incredible first season you had in the Scottish Cup I want to ask you we mentioned there earlier about playing against Morton and how difficult you thought that could potentially be for yourself what was it like the first time you yeah. played against Morton? <laughs> oh Colin you might not believe it uh, the first two times I played against Morton I got sent off both times <laughs> Brilliant Just because they were winding me up and they were kicking me and I, 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 I didn't fool anybody I just more than a referee about that because I was getting kicked from behind um, and, I, and as I say I get sent off twice uh, I, I mean I laugh at it now but I was really upset at the time you know yeah. because I don't know why I was a stupid wee boy I thought oh the boys will be okay with me you know they'll not try to kick me they'll try to play football now nah nah it doesn't work that way <laughs> um, but it was great I loved it I loved going back uh, I loved it when Morton came to Capo I, I remember beating them we beat them 4-1 uh, at Capo. Uh, not at Capo, at Pitodre. And I scored a hat-trick against them and I missed a penalty. And people keep winding me up with a penalty. I said, but I missed the penalty because I'd scored a hat-trick. I'd had the three goals, I was happy. So, uh, no, no some terrific games with them after that. But we, we also had the, the great fear of Andy Ritchie being there because Andy used to score goals out of for fun and out of nothing, you know, and free kicks especially, he was really, really good at it. Um, so we had some great battles, but I loved every bit of it. And I, to be honest with you, the important fans were always good to me, you know, even when I played at Capo against them, uh, you know, they would, they would clap me and, and shout at me and then applaud me and stuff like that. So it was good, it was good. The first season at Aberdeen is remembered for being the season the club won the Scottish Cup again. Describe the run to the final yeah. for me and the impact of Derek Cup tie Mackay in the run. Yeah, well, very early on in that game, I think it was uh, probably third or fourth round, maybe. They played Clyde Bank uh, at, at uh, Petodre. And to be fair, they played at Rapid Park. Clyde Bank were in the second division, and there's only two divisions, and we were, in a, we were probably sitting about second or third. Uh, for the top of the first division and Craig Bank played as upper part but they couldn't score and eventually beat them 2-1 but we got booed off the park that night by our own fans so sitting in the dressing room and Eddie came in and he said well I wasn't very good he said but the thing is he says, you've got to remember you can't always play well you can't always be a good team and you can't always win games 
if you win game for that the way you did there, then there's always something good will come out of that. Well, the next round was the quarter final. We played the Falkirk at Falkirk, Alex Ferguson and people like that, and we beat them one 0 And the cup tie, Mackay scored the goal. Derry and I, Derry and I actually joined the club on the same day. Uh, joined Aberdeen the same day. We stayed the same days together. Uh, we, we had a flat together. We, we did everything together. It was just, we were just really, really good mates. And Derry had got taken into a team at Falker because there was a flu epidemic at Petodre. And we tried to get the game cancelled uh, cancelled by the SFA and they wouldn't do it. So we had a really sort of makeshift team of, and, and which Derek Mackay was one of them. He played in the right wing. So he came in, won the game, and Derek had scored the goal. We then went to Perth and Johnson to play Kilmarnock in the semi-final. And Derek, having scored the goal in the quarter-final, was an obvious choice to put in. He actually played well as well, you know. So he's an obvious choice to put in. And they, we won that. Won nothing. And Derek scored the only goal. In terms of that, the final. In terms of that semi-final, sorry, Joe, obviously, it's at the old Muirton Park against Kilmarnock, as you mentioned. A tough game. Derek gets the goal to, to, to win the game 1-0. When you get when you're you, when you know you're in the final, but you know you're coming up against Celtic and Jock Steen, having earlier on as we mentioned a team that just had won the European Cup only a few years previously. What are your thoughts when you when you get into the final, but you know it's against a team like the Lisbon Lions or the majority of the Lisbon Lions, I should say. Well, I mean, uh, to be fair, as soon as, as soon as the semi-finals work, you know. And we got to the thing where we're just at a party and enjoyed ourselves. But then you, you do start to think about you're going to play Celtic. But what a lot of people don't remember, Calm, is a fortnight before the cup final, Aberdeen went down and beat Celtic 2 nothing at Parkhead in a league game. I didn't play that game because I had gone five games without scoring a goal. And they, and they said to me, he says, you're not playing against Celtic. He says, you're going to Tyne Castle. Uh, to play in the reserves. And I I actually thought, God, I haven't scored a goal five games. They're going to leave me out. Right? And that was, that's what I thought. And Teddy Scott, our trainer, who's a great guy, Teddy said to me, he says, listen, he says, you're going to go down there and you're going to have to play your heart out. He says, you, you could be out of this team. I think he's always thinking about it. So at half time against Hearts Reserves at Tynecastle, we're 3 nothing down. And Teddy came in and says, listen, he says, we're only kidding you about you not playing. He says, we don't want you to go down there and Celtic to try and kick you because you are a danger man. He says, the reason you're playing here is so that you get a wee bit of confidence by maybe score a goal or two. So all of a sudden, this weight came off my shoulders. We're doing the same half. We drew three each and I scored a hat-trick. And the rest is history from there on. When the cup final came, I must admit there was one thing, one thing in the cup final actually it made me. I wasn't nobody had said to me you're definitely playing, but there was one thing that happened in the cup final that made me think for a second, only a second, because they named the team out. And you remember in those days it was one to eleven. That was your team, right? Yes. For a good three team, Bobby Clark, blah blah blah. You get to number nine, and it says Jim Forrest, and for a second I went. <gasps> He's number 10, Joe Harper. Oh, bro. <laughs> number 11, after the game. And honestly, I nearly 
fascinates me about the era you played in people forget this quite a lot when you played in that cup final against Celtic the game was attended by over 100,000 fans they were packed right into Hamden what is it like when you walk out onto the pitch when there's just so many people in the stadium what's the noise the colour what's it like as a player experiencing that because players don't experience what you experienced anymore the game's changed in that regard which Mm -hmm. is quite sad yeah I know well to be honest with you to be honest with you Carl um, it was 108,000 that again. Yeah. That was, that was what they used to have the sections A, B, C, D. That's where the stairs were down in the park in Hamden. You couldn't see it. You couldn't see those sections. You saw the A, the B, the C, but you didn't see the, the stairs because it was, it was people there standing on it. It was absolutely mobbed. But the worst part of it was we were standing in the the um, changing rooms and we came out on a tunnel. And we, we, they held us up for about four or five minutes in the tunnel. And we could hear the, the noise, but you can't really see anything. You could hear the noise. And, you know, that's what, that was the scary bit. And then you come out of the tunnel and you've got that 15, 20 yards onto the park. And you know, all of a sudden you see the people, you see the scars, red scars, green and white scars. And it's masses and masses of people. But as soon as your shoes, your boots, 
Take the torch. As soon as you stand on the ground, ground, I found everything was fine. Now I'm on the park, fine. It was just the standing in the, in a tunnel and listening to it and hearing it. Once I got into the park, it seemed to disappear. There were, there were louder never, but it seemed to disappear from your head because you know you're, you, you're on the park. You know you can do something now. Standing in a tunnel, you can't do anything about it. But once you're on the park, you've got a ball at your feet you can have a kick about. It takes your mind off it. It was a magnificent sight. I mean, obviously I scored the first goal from a penalty kick. And I'm hitting into the Aberdeen end, which was great because you know it's your own fans. Yeah. No pressure. Well, I didn't think I didn't feel any pressure. Um, there's some a couple of good stories about it. I'll go on to tell you about. Um, but to score that penalty kick in front of my own fans was magnificent. And then to go in and Derek score two goals, and uh, I helped to make the both the goals as well. Uh, it was great, great for him, great for the team, great for everybody. I remember after the game. Uh, this is on the Wednesday uh, after the game I got a, a phone call from a young journalist from the Daily Record and obviously his story was you know the story is all about he must be nervous because uh, he kept going on about it and I kept saying no I wasn't nervous he says but you must be nervous there's 108,000 you're taking a penalty kick you're not nervous I says no I wasn't nervous he kept going on about it I said listen son I says you give me a ball and place it on the penalty spot we only have one person to beat in a goal that can't tackle you. Right? I'll take that any time. I was confident I would score any time with doing that. That's brilliant. I said, so I wasn't nervous. But he kept going on about, oh, I don't believe you. I think you were nervous. I think you're nervous. I said, I'll tell you what. He said, you're right. I was nervous. He said, I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. He said, what was going through your mind? I said, I'll tell you exactly what was going through my mind. I couldn't think anything about it. Said, See if I scored here and we beat Celtic. I'll get any girl I want in Aberdeen that night. And he says, did you? He says, no, Cup Ty scored both of them. He got them all. <laughs> and you printed it. <laughs> but he said to me, there's another thing he said. He says, he says you're a bit big-headed, aren't you? I said, pardon? I said, you're putting me for a, an interview. You call me a big beat on him. He says, well, uh, you know, when you got the ball, uh, uh, apparently he's been held up I said aye how long was he held up for I, said, I don't know he was held up for nine minutes son I said the Celtic player were all getting booked left right and centre because of the penalty I said and I was walking out the box I didn't want anything to do with it I was walking out the box and Arthur Graham was to my left and he shouted hair draw and when I turned around he threw the ball to me I said that caught it in my chest and I put it on my knee and bounced off my knee a couple of times on my foot Bounced off my foot as I was walking out the box. That's what I mean. Is that not being big headed? Is that not being disrespectful? I says, to who Celtic? He says, ah, he says, no. He says, well, why did you do that? I said, I'll tell you exactly why I did it. I says, Ed Turnbull had always said to us, every day of the week, if I ever see one of the players, apart from a goalkeeper, holding the ball in their hand, you'll do 25 press-ups on the spot. And I wasn't prepared to do 25 press-ups in the middle of Hamden with 108,000 people there. <laughs> Brilliant. That's amazing. I that as well. See, in terms of that penalty there, obviously the journalists try to say you're nervous and you're, you're being honest with them. You're saying, look, give me that chance and I'll score. When, when you yeah. take any penalty, Joe, do you know where you're hitting it as soon as you walk up? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I never changed my mind. I, changed, uh, I mean, when I say I never changed my mind, I've changed my mind what corner I was going to put it in. But I never did that 
was running up. I'd always made my mind up, I'm good in the air, and that's it. My favourite was to run up and look at the goalkeeper's left-hand post. The goalkeeper's standing watching you. It was his left hand. And I looked as if I was going to put it there. And at the last minute, I just turned my foot to the left. And I hit it with my right foot and swerve it into the left hand, the, the right hand corner. My left hand corner, his right hand corner. And that's, that's the, penalty. That was the penalty I always took as a schoolboy, etc. And I always practiced really hard with. And it, to, to, to be fair, I think that day um, was probably the, the best penalty I've ever taken in my life. When I hit it, um, Evan Williams was already going to the other corner. He'd already thought he was going to put it in the other corner. And he, he got caught. He, got, he didn't. He actually fell backwards. He was caught in his two feet and two minds, and he just fell backwards into the net. But the ball actually hit the side net, you know, just inside the post. Uh, the side net, which is a perfect penalty. You can't beat that. Not Even if the goalkeeper reads it, the, the chances of getting it is very hard. So, you know, it was just it, that particular day was just perfect. Um, the only time I ever felt nervous about the whole thing, believe it or not, was a month after the, the, the game, the Celtic game, I was down back down in New York to see my mum and dad. And I went into the house and we, were, we stayed in a, a high flat at that time. And you walk in the door, and there's a, a stone wall in front of you, and then you turn to your right and go down the corridor into the living room. Yep. <clears throat> and they've got this picture that has been in the paper, and it's taken from behind the goal of my penalty kick. Mm-hmm. And when I walked in, I saw this picture, big picture up in the wall, and <gasps> I took a deep breath because I thought, <laughs> oh, oh, I can see. It's the first time I've actually looked at a picture seriously, but all you can see me was, all the Celtic supporters away in the background, away way back of the stadium. And there wasn't there was a space to be seen. And there's Celtic players standing, George Cornyn standing with his hands, he's hat, Derek Mackay standing, Martin Buckingham standing there. But all I could see was these people away in the district, distance. And I thought to myself, God, what if I had missed it? You know, just for that second, that, that, that I doubt, you know, what if I had missed it? But then I thought, nah, I wasn't going to miss it. You know, <laughs> it was my day and that was it. So it was...
I'm interested to ask another one more question about that final in the game in particular. You score, Derek scores, Mackay to make it 2-0. I know obviously it's very late in the game, but see when Bobby Lennox scores to make it 2-1, is there nerves from the team's point of view and your point of view? Or obviously a few minute, a minute or so later, Derek goes up and makes it 3-1. But initially, be honest, Joe, when, when Bobby Lennox, when that goal goes in, do you think to yourself, oh no, they're going to come back at us and somehow get this to... To, 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 to yeah, absolutely time. crap, yeah. They were absolutely crap, yeah. Because Celtic were famous in those days for scoring, combined, scoring in the last minute of the game. Uh, but the great thing about it was only about three minutes to go. And uh, when we took the centre, when we came back to the circle, we took the centre and played the back. Martin Bucking just lifted it up the park. And I chased it. And I got it. And I got against Tommy Gamble. But what I did was I took it to the corner flag to try and waste a bit of time. And I actually try to kick it off Tommy for a corner kick, and he went out for a bye kick. And they to the bye kick, and I'm, I'm, all I'm saying to myself on the way back is, please, please do not go up the power and score. Please don't go up the power and score, because it would be my fault for trying to, you know, trying to be funny and cheeky and trying to knock the ball out. As it turned out, they go up the park, we get the ball, Martin Buckin kicks it back up again, I chased it, picked it up, Took Tommy Gamble on. I was going to go to the byline, but I changed my mind. I, I always was going to cut inside, but I, I changed my mind, went to the byline, came back again, and I just had the ball. My idea was to get on my left foot and have a shot at goal. I just had that fraction too long for me to get a proper shot at it. And when the Celtic players was coming in at me, I think it was Drogan, I just toe ended it to Derek. And Derek just took it one touch and then put it in the net. And that was it. So for, for maybe a minute of that game, we were like, oh no, don't score. Whatever they do, don't <laughs> score. But that was it, a minute, because when that started going, and the, 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 the final whistle went about two minutes later, it was I, all over. You mentioned that. So if they hadn't, got, if they hadn't done that there and then, goodness knows what would happen, because Celtic had just thrown everything forward and that. Although in saying that, our goalkeeper would be paradise. Tremendous game that day, magnificent game. Obviously, winning the cup final is a proud achievement for for any player. But you look back at that now. Obviously, I know you've you've won more trophies, and we will come to those soon. But to win the the to win the cup against that Celtic team, Jock Steen, not only to win it binarily, you win it three one, and it's just an incredible experience. Obviously, the the fact that the trophy wasn't allowed to be brought on for the fans is very, as you say, disappointing. But I imagine the celebrations at full time for the players and in the days and weeks ahead were absolutely fantastic. No, no. Well, I mean, when we went to Aberdeen, and by the way, come, we didn't just beat them 3-1. We, we played them off the park that absolutely. day. We were really good that day. We, we really played well. It's a pity there's not enough coverage of the game. Mm. You know, it's just a highlights of the game, I think, they show you. But we played really well that day. And thoroughly, in fact, I'll tell you how good it was. We came out of Hamden, got a bus, we a police escort, we are going to Glen Eagle to stay the night and celebrate, and we are flying past all the Celtic supporters, and every one of them were clapping us on the way past. That sums and it up. To me, that says a lot for the Celtic Football Club, but it was, you know, they, they were actually genuinely clapping us because we played so well. In terms of that, Joe, obviously that must fill you with immense pride in your teammates and in terms of celebrating that, that cup victory it must be something that, that's incredible for any footballer to do and you go on from winning the cup 
to the next season, as you mentioned earlier. Going on to have an incredible season of scoring 33 goals in the league. And you just think to yourself, that's incredible. If, if that was to happen now, the, the plaudits would be right, would be there for the player, and rightly so. And you were attracting a lot of attention after the, the cup final winning season and obviously when you started scoring even more goals. Was that hard to deal with, that interest when it came in on you, or did you just handle that um, quite well? Well, I was always, well, always a pretty level-headed guy. You know, the, the fact that people were talking about me was, you know, obviously an honour uh, that teams down in England were showing an interest and you started thinking, well, I've been doing things right, but I couldn't have done it without my teammates, so what's it going to be like? Nobody actually came to me uh, half a dozen times saying, said to me, oh, so-and-so are up there, so-and-so are up just, I just ignored all the, all the paper talk. Uh, and go on with playing my game because I just like playing football and scoring goals, and I was happy. Uh, I, you know, just get married. Uh, we just bought a house. I mean, everything was hunky dory. I was only in my house six months before, I, and then I, I left to go to Everton. So I had no, obviously, I had no intentions of listening to it and thinking about it when we went away and bought a house. Uh, so you know, it was just one of these things. You know. Uh, I was. I'm one of these guys. I'm. A, if I'm enjoying my football, I'm enjoying it. I, I, I'm just happy to carry on. Uh, I didn't go in and ask for higher wages because I was scoring 15 goals a season. Or I just did, went along with the team. You know, the team were on the same wages, or on the same bonuses. And my theory was that I couldn't really do it without them. And people say you must have got a lot of money for all the goals you scored. And people, you know, Adidas and us, you know. I said, any money I did get, didn't go to me. It went to the team pot, I put it in a pot uh, for a night out to the end of the season or something like that. So it, it was all just, I was just a happy young bloke, you know, uh, 20, 21 years of age by then. So you, you, and I'm really enjoying myself, football-wise, a lot of good friends, and uh, we went holidays and enjoyed ourselves. But eventually, you know, Somebody comes in for you and it turns out to be Everton. Um, and even then, uh, Dick Donald, my chairman, I said to Dick Donald that the fee was 180000 which was the highest fee for a Scottish player going to England at that time. Uh, and uh, I'd said to him, listen, so don't, to be honest with you, I don't want it. I, I, I was playing really well. I scored all these goals. I still had nearly half a season to go. In fact, Drew Jardy, uh, who was my Teammate at the time, uh, I was about 20 goals clear, uh, 15 goals clear, Andrew. And when I went and played the Everton, which was maybe 14 games or something like that, it was only then that Drew overtake, uh, overtook me in the goal scoring charts for Aberdeen. Up until then, I'd always been above him. The goal scoring, Drew's a good player, a very good player. They always tossed me, ah, but I beat you. I said, oh, I was a season away. I was away for six months. <laughs> he scored the goal. I know, I know, I know. Um, so, you know, I even said to Dick Don the way down the car, I said, I, said, I really don't want to go ever. I'm happy at Aberdeen. Uh, I said, well, you know, maybe do a deal, give me another couple of thousand pounds uh, as a signing on fee or something like that, and I'll be happy. But again, he, he said the exact same as Hal Stewart. He says, listen, Joe, 180,000 will keep this club going for four years. In those days, that was a lot of money. I mean, so I had no option, but the only thing, the only mistake he made was that he then 
let me know that I I was I was in the pole position because he says I've got to go. I didn't have to go because I still a year and a half of my contract to go. But he said, "No, you got no, no, you got to go." So I mean, I could ask for more money. So it was all it was all very. It was a sad time, but also a happy time, you know, because I was, I was moving on again to another level. I thought um, to go down in England and try myself down in England. Before we come to the Everton spell, I'm interested to ask you this. Obviously, when we, we talked about the fact you, you when we've talked about it in the whole interview, you're, you're an incredible goal scorer, whether that was from the right wing position or the, the centre forward position, and that's shown with all the achievements and how well you're thought of within the game. Lots of opposition fans, Joe, let's just say, had songs to try and put you off your game. Did did that ever affect <laughs> you? And have you got any good stories about that? It did affect me. It affected me to the, the stage that I used to go and score goals against them because of it. <laughs> <laughs> Harper's a barrel, Harper's a barrel of you-know-what. I loved it. I loved it. In fact, we played Celtic one day at Parkhead. This is a true story. And the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I wasn't, I wasn't involved in the game much. And when the ball did come, it bounced off my leg and go away and I'd lose it. And eventually I heard this, Harper's a barrel. Harper's a barrel of S-H-I-T. And I turned around quickly. And Bill was telling me, Neil was standing about 15 yards away from the wood man. I said, what's wrong with you? I said, hey, you watch it. I said, no need for that. What are you talking about? So the ball went out of the park and they came back again about five minutes later. And the same thing happened. You know, when I'm under my foot, I'm like, Harper's a barrel. And I turned quickly. I said, John Clark's standing. I said, was it you? He says, what are you talking about? I said, hey, you know, get a grip of yourself. <laughs> so the third time it happened, as soon as I heard Harper, I turned very quickly. It was Drew Jarvie. <laughs> he was singing it. I, said, I used to call him Baldy. I said, Baldy, what are you doing? He said, hey, man. He says, every time a Celtic fan sing Harper's a bow, he always scored a goal. He went to scored both goals. <laughs> so we'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make our home in a deep sea cave and Shells will all be open They'll be filled with song They'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make her home in a deep sea cave And her shells will all be open They'll be filled with song They'll be filled with song